Chapter Four of Giants on the Earth by Captain S. P. Meek. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four, Damis's Decision. Damis stared at Turgan for a moment, as though unable to comprehend the old man's words. Gone, he repeated stupidly. She has slain herself. No replied the Kildare, his face still working in grief. She is gone from us. She has been captured by Glavor's minions. Her dagger? asked Damis, hesitatingly. Is gone with her, replied Turgan. The Nephthalim started toward the spaceship, but a thought wave from one of the Martian envoys stopped him in mid-stride. Wait, man of earth, came the message. The heavens are eternally watched by our people, and none can enter or leave the vicinity of Mars unknown to us. My comrade is now inquiring of each of the observers whence came the Jovians, and where they have gone." Turgan and Damis waited impatiently. Presently the second Martian sent a thought-wave to their minds. The Jovian ship approached Mars using Phobos, one of our moons, as a screen to its movements. It was close to the planet before it was seen. When challenged, the ship sent a message saying that it was captained by Tones, an Achildare of Earth, and an enemy of the Jovians. The Grand Monarch was engaged, and the matter was referred to the Mozar of Chimamonot, the nearest city. Thinking they were your followers, he directed them to land here. The Grand Monarch is enraged beyond measure that, after so many ages of failure, the Jovians have made a successful raid on our planet. The Mozar will pay for his indiscretion with his life." A groan burst from Turgan's lips. Damis stood for a moment stricken with grief and then sprang in giant leaps toward the space-flyer. "'Come on, Turgan,' he cried. "'We may overtake them yet. At least we can avenge if we cannot save.' The Kildare followed him more slowly. Where, O Nephthalim, he asked, will we find them in the trackless wastes of space? Damis paused at the words. Why, between here and earth, he replied. And as he did so a thought crossed his mind, which was revealed by the sudden expression of dismay which clouded his features. Earth, Venus, Mercury, Moon, Jupiter, all are under the rule of the sons of God, he cried. And to any of them Glavor's ship may have fled, replied the Kildare. Before we start in pursuit it is best to find, if we can, in what direction the ship went. Frantically Damis strove to muster his thoughts and hurl a question or two at the Martians, who stood beside the transporter cylinders. Before the thought had been fully formed an answer reached him. I have been inquiring, Nephthalim, why, when our observers saw that ship contained Jovians, they were not destroyed. One of the observers who watched them tells me that their ship landed between your ship and the only instruments of destruction which could be brought to bear on them. The Jovians poured out and attacked your crew, who were all out of the ship. They were so mingled that it would have been impossible to destroy them without encompassing the destruction of your men as well, and we could not blast their ship into nothingness without also destroying yours. When they rose again 
They carried one of your crew a prisoner, and so they were not blasted out of the heavens. They took a course which carried them behind Phobos, where they were shielded. When next seen, they were headed away from your planet. If Glavor came to Mars, Laura is dead by now, said Turgan sorrowfully, tears coming down his cheeks. Glavor is not one to await the fulfillment of his desires, and Laura had her dagger. Her soul is now with him whom we are taught to glorify. His will be done. If it be his will, replied Damis, don't give up, Turgan. We may save her yet. He turned to the Martians and formed a thought message in his mind. Has your science any way of telling us who was in command of the Jovian ship? he asked. Were your men who lie dead familiar with the features of the Jovian Viceroy? Yes, all of them. Then we will search the brains of the dead. The pictures that are in the living brain fade rapidly when death comes, but the last impression of these men was a powerful one of fighting and hatred, and some traces may remain. I will search. The huge slug crawled over the ground to the body of the nearest dead terrestrial. In one of his many hands he carried a shiny metal tube from which crimson rays flickered and played over the head of the dead man. The skull disintegrated under the influence of the strange instrument until the brain lay naked and exposed to the fierce glare of the Martian sun. The Martian delicately connected two wires terminating in metal plates to the tissue of the brain, and attached the other ends of the wires to a metal circlet which he clamped about his middle. For some moments he remained motionless, and then crawled to the body of the next second dead earthman. One after another he examined each of the eighteen dead bodies. When he had completed, he crawled over to Damis and Turgan. Put these bands about your brows, he commanded in thought language, as he handed to each of them a metallic band similar to the one clasped about him. The two earthmen quickly adjusted the bands. Let your minds remain a blank, and in them will be reproduced the impressions I have gathered from the brains of your dead followers. Damis sprang suddenly upward and smote with all of his force at the air. Out of nothingness had materialized the form of a huge Jovian, clad in the uniform of Glavor's guards. His blow went harmlessly through the thin air, and the Jovian swung a massive axe. Just before the blow landed, the Jovian disappeared, and a thought wave from the Martian impinged on Damis's brain. Spare your energies, Nephthalim, the message said. What you saw was not a Jovian, but was the last impression stored in the brain of the man who met his death under a blow of the axe which seemed to be striking at you. I am merely reproducing in you the emotions and experiences that man felt. Had I allowed the phantom blow to land, you would now be cold in death. So great was the strength of the impression. Now make your mind again blank and I will reveal to you what was in the mind of another at the instant that his death came upon him. Before the Nephthalim's startled gaze another Jovian appeared. Havener, he cried, as he recognized the principal officer of Glavor. The equerry came forward slowly, 
blood dripping from a wound in his leg. He swung his axe, but it went wide of the mark. Again he struck, but two terrestrials attacked him from the rear and he whirled. For a moment Damis had a chance to watch the conflict which was raging about him. Nine of the huge Jovians were engaged in deadly combat with a dozen of the terrestrials who still remained on their feet. In the door of the spaceship stood Lura, watching the conflict with frightened eyes. One after another of the Earthmen were stricken down. Suddenly a Jovian rushed at Damis, but the scene went blank before the raised axe could strike him down. "'Have you seen enough, or shall I show you the scenes in the brains of the others?' asked the Martian. "'I have seen and recognized nine of the Jovians,' replied Damis. "'Yet among them was not the one I feared. Let me see into the brains of the others, that I may be sure that Glavor was not among them.' Another scene materialized before him. It was merely a variation of those he had already seen. In the brain of one of the terrestrials he saw a landing of the Jovian ship and the sudden onrush of the sons of God, armed only with the forty-pound axes they used at close quarters. In none of the scenes did he see the huge form of Glavor. He removed the band with a sigh of relief. "'I broke Glavor's arms a few days back,' he said to Turgan and it is probable that that prevented him from following us, even if he felt that he could leave the earth in the turmoil which Tones has undoubtedly raised. It means that Laura is safe for the present, for Havener would not dare to do other than to bring her to the Viceroy. We must follow them and endeavor to rescue her. I will ask our friends if they can plot her course for us. I have inquired as to that replied the Martian to Damis's unspoken question, and find we cannot. Soon after the ship left the surface of Mars, our observers sighted a Jovian fleet of a hundred flyers in the asteroid belt between here and Jupiter. They are nearly through the belt now and are headed toward your planet. Their path will bring them within a few thousand miles of Mars, and every instrument on the planet is trained on them. While the Grand Mogonac believes that Earth is their destination, never before have the Jovians approached us in such force, and it may be that Turbane will try to avenge his former defeats by an attack in force. We have no instruments to spare to keep track of a lone flyer unless it changes its course and approaches us. There is one more source of information. I will examine the brains of the dead Jovians. Perhaps they know their leader's plans. From the first Jovian the Martian turned away with an expression of disappointment. There is nothing in his brain but a scene of the fight with your followers. Yet it may cheer you to know that at the last he felt fear. The emotion the Jovians boast is foreign to them, said the Martian. I will examine the other. With his crimson ray he removed the covering from the brain of the second Jovian and connected his wires. For a few moments he was motionless, and then he removed the wires and crawled rapidly toward Damis. Naphthalim, here is what you wish, came his thoughts, jumbled in a chaotic state of excitement. This man had a wonderful brain, and the impressions of the last month are clear and distinct.
Attend carefully and leave your mind a blank. On the Martian plain, buildings suddenly materialized before the Nephthalim's gaze. With a cry of astonishment he saw himself facing Glavor in defiance. Lura, who had been crouching behind him, ran into one of the buildings. Act by act, Damis saw the fight between himself and the Jovian Viceroy repeated. The Viceroy, one arm dangling uselessly, was whisked away in his chariot. The scene faded and another took its place. The Viceregal Palace was beleaguered by thousands and scores of thousands of shouting terrestrials. Jovian sought with rays and with atomic bombs to disperse them. But where a score were blasted into nothingness or torn into fragments, a hundred fresh men took their place. Suddenly the Jovian rays began to fail. The Earthmen had found the secret source of power which supplied the palace and had cut it. Again the scene faded, and he was on a spaceship with Havener talking to him. The words he could not hear, for the Martian could not comprehend a record of a sound. The pictures conjured up by the words were easy to comprehend, and in picture forms the Martian conveyed to him the sense of the conversation. Havener was telling him of their destination. First came a scene which he recognized as a Martian landscape. The Jovians swarmed from their spaceship and struck down the Earthmen without exertion. Three were made captive himself, Turgan, and Lura. The Jovians re-entered the ship and sped away into space. Damis wondered what this last picture signified. Another scene materialized, and they were on another planet. It was not Mars, and it was not Earth. For a moment he was puzzled. The sun, when it shone, was larger and fiercer than he had ever seen it, but it shone only for an instant. Blankets of cloud and fog hid it from view. Rain fell incessantly. Lush, rank vegetation covered the ground and rose in a tangle far overhead. The Jovians emerged from the spaceship, the prisoners in their midst. A huge lizard, a hundred feet long, rushed at them, but a flash of the disintegrating tubes dissolved it into dancing motes of light. The Jovians made their way through the steaming jungle until a huge city, roofed with a crystal dome which covered it and arched high into the air, appeared before them. Toward this city the Jovians marched. "'The crystal cities of Venus!' cried Turgan. Damis nodded in assent. Again the scene changed, and the Martian plain was before them. From the spaceship the Jovians emerged. But instead of the easy victory they had had in the earlier scene, they found the task a difficult one. From all sides the terrestrials charged at them, and Damus found himself fighting against his compatriots. A sword flashed before his eyes, and the scene was gone. "'Have you learned that which you sought?' came a Martian thought inquiry. Damis hastily formed his thoughts into an affirmative message of thanks and turned to Turgan. "'We know now where to go,' he cried exultantly. "'Laura is safe until they land on Venus and enter the Crystal Cities, for Havener would not dare to do otherwise than carry out the orders of Glavor.' 
The Martian weapons which we have will ensure us an easy victory. Come, let us hasten. A thought message from the Martian stopped him. Those weapons on which you are planning, Nephthalim, were given to you by our Grand Mognac for the purpose of ridding your planet of your oppressors and of defending your planet against further Jovian attacks, not for the purpose of invading another planet with which we have no quarrel. If you will use them for the purpose for which they were given you, you may depart with them in peace. If you plan to go to Venus, the weapons will remain on Mars. We will go to the Earth and rid her of our oppressors, replied Damis. But first we must go to Venus and rescue Laura. Venus lies beyond the sun, was the Martian answer, while your planet and Mars are on the same side. It will take you five times as long to go to Venus as to go to Earth. Meanwhile the Jovian fleet will have landed, and your efforts will be in vain to dislodge them. Even now you must fly at your best speed to reach your planet before them. But we cannot abandon Laura. She is the only daughter of my comrade, and she is my affianced bride. She means more to us than does the fate of our planet. Then go to Venus after her, Nephthalim, but go without Martian aid. Only to save you from your oppressors will we help you. Never has Mars attempted conquest of another celestial body, although not even Jupiter could stand against our might if we chose to attack it. You cannot understand her relationship to us, Martian. No, I cannot. We are sexless and sex exists on Mars only for the purpose for that which it was intended, the perpetuation of our species. It may be that we have been mistaken. If the fate of one member of your species means more to you than the rescue of your whole race, it is perhaps well that you be eliminated by the Jovians. In any event, our decision is final. Make your choice of whether you depart with the weapons or as you came. Then I will go to Venus, cried Damis. If necessary, I will fight the Jovians with bare hands. But I will rescue Laura or die in the attempt. And what of the earthmen who trusted you, Nephthalim? asked Turgen. Dozens gave their lives gladly to capture the spaceship in which we came here, and thousands have gone cheerfully to annihilation to keep the sons of God beleaguered in the viceregal palace until we return with the weapons which will bring them victory. Think you that they would choose the destruction of enslavement of the whole race to the possible chance of rescuing one person from the grasp of Glavor's minions? Turgan, you are mad, cried Damis. Have you forgotten that Laura is your only child? Since the days of Hortan, Glavor has sought information as to the secret assembly room. Hundreds of men have gone to torture and death with their lips sealed when they could have bought life and freedom by speaking. Were it my own life, Turgen, I would not hesitate. Think you that never before has an earthman been faced with the choice of betraying his countrymen or seeing his wife or daughter violated and sacrificed in the games? All have been true to the last, and yet they could have done little harm had they spoken. 
You have the fate of the earth in your hand, yet you hesitate. I am Laura's father, and I know her better, it seems, than do you. If you abandon her countrymen, she will despise you for a coward. It is better that one or that many be lost than that all be lost. Damis bowed his head in silence. Raised by the Jovians, whose only ideal of life was their own selfish pleasure, the thought that the fate of thousands whom he did not know and in whom he felt little interest could be of more importance than the fate of the one whose safety meant more than life to him was a novel one. The lifelong training he had received from the sons of God struggled, and struggled in vain against the ideals he had inherited from his earthly mother and his loved sire. With a face drawn with anguish, he raised his head. We will take your weapons, Martian, and with them go to the earth. If it be his will that Laura be safe, safe she shall be, although the whole force of Jupiter threaten her. If not, his will be done. One promise I exact of you, Turgan, when we have reached earth, and I have taught your fellow followers to use the Martian weapon, you will give me a crew and let me depart to Venus to find her. Gladly will I promise, and if I be spared I will go with you, Damis, said Turgan. Do not think that Laura is not dear to me. She is dearer than all else in the universe, save only the keeping bright the ideal of loyalty that has been the guiding light of the terrestrials for untold ages. Your decision is well made, Nephthalim, said the Martian, and word of it shall be given to the Grand Mognac that he made no mistake when he entrusted you with the weapons of Mars. Now, for your course, when you rise, direct your ship toward Daphos. The Jovian fleet is now at an ascension of forty-two degrees and at an angle of one hundred and sixty degrees from the sun. Daphos will hide you from their instruments. Once you reach it, our observers will plot your course and send you a bearing which will take you as far from the Jovian fleet as possible. They are now passing Ceres and will soon be out of the asteroid belt. They are larger and more powerful than the ship you are flying, and they will make better speed. However, if you use your maximum power, you will easily arrive on your planet before them. Have you fuel enough for your trip at full speed? Damis hastily inspected the fuel supply of the ship and made some rapid calculations. We have enough to carry us at maximum speed to Earth and to retard us to a safe landing, but very little to spare. Can you give us some? There is no tantalum on Mars except a little scattered through tons of rock. It would take us days to extract enough to do you any good. It is well that you did not plan to fly to Venus, for you could have made little speed and the Jovian flyer would have reached there long before you did. Now go, and may our best wishes aid you in your flight. Damis turned and instinctively held out his hand. A trace of expression flickered over the face of the nearest Martian slug, and he bent forward and clasped the proffered hand in one of the many hands with which he was provided. 
No further message came to Damis from the Martians, and he entered the airlock with Turgan following him. As the lock clanged shut, he turned to his companion. Open the reserve air tanks and restore the atmosphere gradually to the pressure of earth, he directed. Unless you do that, we will be unable to function efficiently. While Turgan opened the valve which allowed the reserve supply of compressed air to gradually enter the ship, Damis pulled down the starting lever of the ship. With a terrific lurch the flyer left the surface of Mars and shot up into the trackless realms of space. Abandoning his controls for an instant, Damis looked into one of the observers. The plain below them was empty of Martians but in the distance he could dimly see two of the silvery domes which marked their cities. He made some short calculations and turned on a side motor for a moment. The ship swerved and headed for the Martian satellite to which he had been directed. In an hour he was holding the ship less than a thousand miles from Daphos, while he received a message from the Grand Mognac as to the location of the Jovian fleet, their speed and course, and the course which he should fly to reach the earth ahead of them. He noted down the directions and set the crosshairs of his forward observer on Alpha Centauri. His hands sought the controlling lever, and the ship rapidly gathered momentum for the trip to earth. End of chapter 4